A true crime novelist moves his family into a new house, fully aware that the previous owners were brutally murdered and their young daughter kidnapped. With his family blissfully unaware that anything happened, Ellison Oswald begins researching his new novel about the crime when he finds a box of old home movies in the attic. He watches these movies, all of which depict a series of grisly murders spanning decades. Oswald becomes obsessed with writing about these killings, and after consulting with an expert in the occult, learns that they may have been carried out in the name of a Babylonian chaos god named Bagul, the Eater of Children. Today we dive into a particularly creepy movie from 2012, Sinister. I'm Condor Zagari. And I'm Austin Johnson. And this is Filmgasm. Wednesday once again, listeners. Here we are, 72 episodes and 38 bonuses into the show that can't be killed, be it by copyright strike, technical issues, or a sweeping global plague. Much like Bagul himself, once we get going, Filmgasm cannot and will not be stopped. Hope you're safe and snug in your isolation locations, hopefully with your loved ones if possible. Best advice I can give, honestly, is keep busy and stay positive. Start a project, reorganize your living room, have a movie marathon, anything to keep your mind off the coronavirus. Today we're going to help with that a bit, hopefully, by discussing Sinister, a creepy little film that came out in between Insidious and The Conjuring, so it kind of got lost. But most horror fans love this one simply because it's all atmosphere and really unsettling at times. So welcome to the show. Uh, I've got one update for you on the Rewind. And it's for episode 47, Salem's Lot. All right. Gary Dauberman, writer of It, chapters 1 and 2, and director of Annabelle Comes Home, has been tapped to direct the upcoming remake of Salem's Lot, with James Wan set to produce. There's potential for this to be a truly frightening movie. Here's hoping it works out better than Pet Cemetery. Yeah, no kidding. That's exactly what I was about to say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, here's hoping. Yeah. I mean, that is a good team to have behind Salem's Lot. <laughs> Oh, and I remember doing that episode. That was a chore of a film to get through. Oh, I, no kidding, man. <laughs> so much, uh, so much fat. <laughs> I know, man. It was oh, so much unnecessary. That's the problem with the miniseries. You know, it's tough to to do those because it's like they cut nothing out, but they still don't have anything to say. Yes, exactly. Filler. It's so yeah. strange. <laughs> so, had you seen Sinister prior to doing the podcast? Oh, yes. Many times. Sinister, as you know, I'm a giant Ethan Hawke fan. So anything he's in, I'm probably going to see, uh, even if it looks bad. I just love him. He's you know, been a part of Linklater's filmography, and that's one of my favorite directors. So, you know, he's just like one of his mainstays. And then uh, for him to be in a gritty horror film like this is just, yeah, it's, just, it's a match made in heaven for me as a fan. And it goes to show in this movie I think if you have just a no-name guy here uh, in uh, in this role uh, as Ellison, I just don't think it works as well. I don't think Sinister works as well. Uh, Ethan Hawke sells that shit, man. He he really does. You put put that man in a sweater vest and uh, you know some glasses, and <laughs> I'm all in. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, it's I. This was the first thing I ever saw Ethan Hawke in. And wow, uh, wow, yeah, I know this was. I watched this, this for the this first two years before uh, Boyhood. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. This was back when I was not really that 
I mean, I, I only really watched what I thought I was going to be interested in. I didn't I didn't have such a broad uh, scope of the films I, I would mean. watch. I know what you mean, yeah. This was, I think, two years before we started Filmgasm, the, the website. And I watched this with Caleb, uh, and we were both like, this is creepy as hell. <laughs> this is really yeah. good. Yeah. <laughs> and from then, it just kind of stuck with me. Like, this, something about this movie is really unforgettable i think it's the it's the fact that they are so willing to use children i don't you know i think a lot of horror films go out of their way to kind of make the children safe or keep the children out of it but films like this where the children are not only involved but they're the cause is really freaky yeah that's a that's a really good point uh i think in movies obviously like uh you know horror movies like the shining you know kids are used but a lot of times in modern horror, you see kids used as like chips, as like just a fucking like I would even say movie a movie I love is The Conjuring. But I think they use her daughter in really cheap, like cheap, chippy ways. You know what I mean? And yeah. It, it, it's not satisfying at all. Whereas obviously here, the children are used as the 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 killers. <laughs> you know, yeah. they're uh, uh, it is it is absolutely frightening. And I I think the reason it's stuck with me for eight years strong is the ending is how powerful the ending is and how it yeah. actually doesn't, it doesn't let you go. It doesn't let you go home. Like, Oh, everything's okay. You know, yeah. um, it, it's like, no, the death, you know, and everybody loses. Like, like you said, Bagul does not, you know, he doesn't lose. So you can't and stop him. And, and, and that just as like, it shouldn't be, but it's rare in horror, you know, like usually the good guys win, you know, and that's in movies in general, but, uh, Ooh, sinister is a, is, is something else, man. <laughs> Certainly, certainly is. Sinister was written and directed by Scott Derrickson and C. Robert Cargill, the writing-directing duo who would go on to do Marvel's Doctor Strange. Cargill says his inspiration for the film came from a nightmare he had after watching The Ring. The nightmare depicted him finding an old film reel in his attic that showed an entire film being hanged. Of course, this ended up being a crucial scene in the movie. But that's cool. This movie came out of a nightmare. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I love that. I love, uh, yeah, because, you, you know, source material is always, you know, good source material is hard to come by unless it's true, you know? <laughs> yeah. And so when it comes from your own brain, what you literally what you saw when you were asleep is really crazy. <laughs> it's frightening. Makes sense, too, because, I mean, he's straight up Bagul. I'm about to talk about it here, but he he's the boogeyman. I mean, he's yes. the essence of nightmares. Yes, so. indeed. Makes sense. He created Bagul as a sort of updated take on the Boogeyman. Bagul is not from any real religion. He's just a vaguely pagan deity who operates outside of religious ideologies. He's a force of nature, almost. You can't stop him. He's going to get what he wants, and he's going to use your kids. It's fucked up. Yeah, it's not It's not even about, like, um, you know, exercising this, this – not a demon like you said it's a force it's a force that you know to be reckoned with to god (laughs) and 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 it's it's also like what's so great about like this movie and just this idea is once you're like within its path it doesn't matter where you go it's you're in the path you know yeah (laughs) you're in you're in the timeline you can't avoid it once you're in it ah that is that is such a frightening (laughs) frightening way to make a movie it's evil it's a lot of films i like for me what comes to the top of my head is the grudge Yes, yes. Film that, like, once you're involved, you can't get uninvolved. It's it's part of you now. <laughs> that's that's so fucked up and really creepy and makes you wonder about, you know, 
if ghosts are real, haunted houses and, you know, demonic possession and all that, could that happen? Could you just be picked out of a lottery to be next? <laughs> yeah, it's frightening, man. It's, ugh. Oscar nominee Ethan Hawke stars as true crime novelist Ellison Oswald. Hawke had been nominated for four Oscars in his career. Best Supporting Actor for 2001's Training Day and 2014's Boyhood, as well as Best Adapted Screenplay for 2004's Before Sunset and 2012's Before Midnight, shared with Richard Linklater and Julie Delpy. In addition, Hawke has appeared in such films as Dead Poets Society, Reality Bites, Gattaca, Lord of War, The Purge, and past Filmgasm bonus First Reformed. So we've talked about Hawk before. I, uh, I've i never really been that big a fan. For me, he's just kind of forgettable. But over the course of this podcast, I've warmed up to the guy. Yeah, well, it's going to be hard. If you are my friend, uh, I'm not going to ever shut up about him. He's like, I think, I, I really do think um, his, his performance at First Reformed is like career-defining. It's um, something very, very special. And then the his, his input on the the before trilogy that spans over, you know, 20 years is just spectacular. It's like, you know, Linklater and him uh, have committed to stuff that is so cool and so different and has never been done before in film history. So I, I just, I have tremendous respect for him. Fair enough. Fair enough. And, you know, since I started Filmgasm, the website, and to further extent the podcast, I've watched, you know, I've watched Boyhood. I've watched, First reformed training day, of course, training day, Gattaca. So I've, I've, I've done a bit of homework with Ethan Hawke and I, I get it. I get it. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's <laughs> awesome, man. <laughs> uh, Juliet Rylance plays Tracy Ellison's wife. Juliet Rylance is the stepdaughter of Oscar winning actor, Mark Rylance. And she's also appeared in such films as Francis Ha, a dog's purpose and she had recurring roles in the TV shows The Nick, American Gothic, and McMafia. And she's good. She's kind of a – she didn't do much in the movie besides just tell Ethan Hawke, you got to stop. Yeah, well, you know, this movie, Sinister, is um, pretty uh, – we've seen, we've seen this before. Uh, we're in a house with a pretty normal family. The kids are kind of acting out. Uh, the wife doesn't know what to do, you know? And yeah. it's for me, it's Ethan Hawke who really sells that stuff uh, that really, really gets me in. And then the a- actual horror story within the movie is what 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 I love about it. But as far as the drama between them as a family, I, I don't know. I feel like they could have done a little bit better with the casting. I agree. I agree. Uh, Fred Thompson plays the sheriff who tries to bully Oswald into moving out of their out of their town. Thompson had a recurring role in the Law and Order universe as District Attorney Arthur Branch, and he also served as a U.S. Senator from Tennessee from 1994 to 2003. He died in 2015 at age 73 from cancer. And does it bother you that like nobody outside the family has a name? Oh yeah. Oh, you're right. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't really, I didn't really think about that. <laughs> oh man. Well, They're just you know, kind of like the vague sheriff and the vague deputy. Yeah, yeah, and he, they have to be there as just like, oh, I don't want you in my town. Get the hell out of here. Just to create that like little diversion, you know. Just... But even with that, there's never any push to like to act on it. Like the oh, sheriff's no. never. There's never any real pushback. 
No, and the sheriff, like, even says, like, your books are good. And then he's like, but some of them suck. It's like, what are you, <laughs> what are you doing? Get the hell out of here. <laughs> but the deputy, uh, uh, that guy, that guy uh, awesome performance in It Chapter 2. Yes. James Ransone plays Deputy So-and-So in both Sinister movies, and he played Eddie Kasprak in It Chapter 2. Yeah, and he's in The Wire as Ziggy, uh, uh-huh. one, of the, one, of the, one of the best characters in that show. Right even on. Though, even though there's about 30 characters from that show that are great, uh-huh. he, he's one of them. <laughs> well, he... I can't stand Deputy So-and-So. Oh, no. Me neither. For the sole reason that his fucking name is Deputy So-and-So. Yeah, like, and, and the way he carries himself is just not not for me. I mean, use just just give him a give him you know Bob Smith something. Bob I just Smith. I can't stand the fact that I feel like I'd be okay with it if it was just this movie, but he's the lead in Sinister Two, and they still didn't give him a name. I forgot about that movie altogether. It's fucking awful. We'll we'll talk a little bit about that at the end here, but it's it's pretty fucking bad. Yeah. But yeah, just, I think other than Ethan Hawke, and I like Fred Thompson's performance, but I feel like everyone else is kind of just here for the check. Yeah, agreed. Yeah, Hawke is really, really carrying, carrying the load here. <laughs> <laughs> for sure. So Sinister has an IMDb score of 6.8, Rotten Tomatoes score of 64%. Kind of mixed. It was a big hit, grossing $87 million on a budget of $3 million, So that's pretty good. Yeah, that's 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 horror, man. That's horror for you. You know, the horror fans are going to be out if they, if they hear it's good. They usually make their money back. Yep. So let's get into the plot of this thing. Sinister. So we open Which, with some. Wait, oh, hold on yeah. real quick. By yeah. the way, Sinister, um, an album by the Black Keys came out, obviously called Brothers prior yeah. to this prior to this film. And there's probably my favorite song on the album is called Sinister Kid. <laughs> I always I always associated that song. With this, and I know you're a big Black Keys fan, so I know you knew what, I, <laughs> knew what I'm talking about. It's one of those weird pop culture things. You just keep correlate them together. <laughs> oh, that's yeah, that's cool, man. I'm glad you have an association. <laughs> well, yeah. So you know, when I watch the movie, I just I just hear the Black Keys, which is always great. Well, I read that uh, Derrickson and Cargo went out of their way to get like super obscure, super creepy music that they peppered throughout the movie, just to make you a little bit more unsettled. Like, there's no noticeable soundtrack beyond just creepy sounds that's awesome I love it's pretty that. sweet <laughs> so the film opens with some super eight footage of a family of four standing beneath a tree with hoods over their heads nooses around their necks so already you're like fuck <laughs> okay yeah hell of a way to start a movie <laughs> yeah no kidding jeez and then we an unseen figure saw us through a limb on the tree they all go up in the air and they're hanged. A family of four. And then, you know, title screen, sinister. So already you're like, okay, this is going to be a rough, <laughs> this is going to be a rough watch. <laughs> they're not holding back. No, but you, um, I, you like that as a horror fan, right? You know, yeah. you, you want the buy the ticket, take the ride kind of thing. Like, let's, <laughs> let's fucking go. Let's see what happens here. Very true. Very true. So months later, washed-up true crime writer Ellison Oswald moves into the family's house with his wife, Tracy, and their two kids, Ashley and Trevor. And they, he didn't tell them that a family was murdered here. 
That's that's fucked up. That's really fucked Extremely up. Extremely messed. And she point blank asks him, like, did 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 a crime happen here? And he's like, no. <laughs> <laughs> like five minutes into the movie, and you're like, oh yeah. god, Ethan. <laughs> he's like, doing? well, and he and his rationale is, well, it didn't happen here. It happened in the backyard. Yeah, I love that. Like later on, it comes back up. She's like, you idiot, you lied to me. And he's like, yeah, well, it wasn't in the house. <laughs> Oh, oh my man. god. But why is this common practice? I mean, did he need to move his entire family here for this? I mean, he's researching a book. Couldn't he have just gotten like, you know, he rent like rented a room nearby? Or or can't you just do research? I don't know. Yeah. I I don't know. Um yeah, I definitely have issues with like his his uh his motivation uh as a writer. Because he says multiple times, like, oh, like as a writer, you know, you if I ever was doing it for the money, like, that's the wrong thing to do. But it's like, dude, you're clearly, clearly, <laughs> you keep putting everyone, including yourself, in horrible situations. <laughs> so, yeah, I, just, I don't know, man. He's weird. It is 100% for the money. It's never, it's never about anything else for him. Because his novel, his one novel, Kentucky Blood, was a huge hit, and that was all he had. Every book after that failed. And I, you know, I get that. That's that's got to suck. Ride that, you know, ride that high as long as you can. But, you know, like Cypress Hill once said, hit single don't last very long. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no doubt, man. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, he also has some issues with the local cops because he bashed the investigation in his recent in his most uh, recent book and a killer walked free. And uh, so now that. Because of that, he's not getting any help from local police. In fact, they want him to fuck off. Yeah, they want him to move as soon as he moves in. Very true. Which I get it. You know, he's not he doesn't make a very good case for himself or his or his character over the course of this movie. I mean, we don't know what he's like outside of the situation. So all we have to go from is what we see in the movie. And what we see in the movie is a selfish father who ignores his kids, ignores his wife and drags them down into a horrible, murderous situation while ignoring the advice of everyone around him who's telling him to stop. Yeah, <laughs> essentially. For a book. That's not a yeah. hero. For a book. <laughs> For a book that is probably going to fail, because he's probably not a very good writer. <laughs> yeah, you don't really see him doing a whole lot of writing. Uh, more so drinking. <laughs> Which Ethan Hawke always... Uh, Ethan Hawke is a good... I, he's a good drinker on screen. Uh, you know, we saw in First Reformed, he did that a lot. Uh, Reality Bites is a great one. You know, he's just, it seems like he probably does that in real life. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Legally, we did not just call Ethan Hawke an alcoholic. <laughs> no, he may he may be, I don't know. But in his movies, he definitely is. <laughs> yeah, his he's char- been typecast his, of it. His characters are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, he's aware that what of what happened here he's trying you know he's, he's using this house as a research hub for his new book and he's hoping that his research is going to find the fifth member of this family that died a little girl named stephanie who disappeared after the murders now that i mean that's <laughs> you gotta think pretty highly of yourself to think i'm gonna find this girl my book is gonna find this girl <sighs> That's, uh, all, all, I, all I have to do is start writing. Yeah. Ugh. 
And you're right. He never once puts pen to paper in this book. I mean, this movie. No, no, it's all. Well, yeah, this movie, this movie's all like, uh, honestly, not the not even the best setup. It's all like the, the flash is so good in this movie. Once it gets to the the grit and when he's actually watching the films, ugh, it starts getting good. Yeah. So his children, Ashley is a little girl who is an artist and they're letting her paint on her walls because they, you know, she's upset that they had to move. And their son, Trevor, has night terrors upon moving into the house. He used to have night terrors. Yeah, and is just a flat-out punk. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> that's, that's like a kid you see doing fucking, like, with his Heelys on in the mall. <laughs> oh, my God. Those fucking kids. I remember those kids. <laughs> so Ellison finds a box in the attic. He's, he's looking around, he finds a box, which is a projector and several reels of 8mm footage that are all labeled with the home movie titles like Pool Party and Barbecue and Lawn Work and stuff like that. Sleepy Time. <laughs> that Okay, okay. honestly, I probably would have watched them if it wasn't for that one. Because I'd be like, <laughs> oh, I'd be like, what? Pool Party 66? Let me see what this is about. But then I see Sleepy Time 98. No, that doesn't sound... <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't sound like something I want to watch. <laughs> oh, boy. So Oswald assumes this probably has some kind of connection to the murders. He starts, he hooks up the projector, watches the first video, and it's family hanging out, which is the uh, the murders that happen. So he watches the, the hangings that, happen, that we saw at the beginning of the movie. That, like, just happened, yeah. yeah. And he's pretty shocked. He's disturbed. He does not turn the, the box over to the cops though he calls them and then hangs up because he's like i need this that's oh selfish prick yeah i mean, I mean admit, there's so many signs where it's like dude you can't handle this admittedly there is nothing the cops would have been able to do i mean this is a demon i mean a, a god but i mean i don't think local pd has jurisdiction over babylonian chaos gods but just the thought, you know, that, like, I have a box of murder videos. What do I do with this? Do I hold on to it, watch all of them, and research this for my book? Or do I notify the cops? <clears throat> and the creepiest part is that when the cops went over this house, they didn't find the box. This box appeared in the attic after the cops had left. <laughs> that, that creeped me out big time. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> And for the podcast, this was my third time watching this movie. Yeah, I think this is my fourth, maybe. Yeah, third or fourth, yeah. And uh, so Oswald just starts going through the videos, starts watching them. And it starts out instantly with, like, you know, footage of a family hanging out, barbecuing, doing stuff. And then there's a sharp cut, and you watch the family get brutally murdered. <laughs> and there's always a kid missing because this killer apparently – takes a kid with them so sleepy time 98 is a family being getting their throats cut in bed super creepy and this, these home movies are filmed so real they're so gritty they look like snuff films it's really fucked up yeah i think that's 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 what like i what affected me when i first saw the movie and affects me now the most is the the actual footage the actual super 8 footage is unbelievably scary 
and continues to kind of pop up over and over. And there's a specifically, I'm sure we'll point out that scene when he, when it's kind of over his face, the projector, and it's just a, it's just a brilliant shot. <laughs> oh boy. Which of the home movies scared you the most? Um, I would say I, Oh man. Uh, barbecue is pretty rough, but they're all, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know, man. The sleepy, <laughs> sleepy time is so weird. It's so such a bizarre uh, but the barbecue, yeah, you're like, oh, you know, maybe I'll watch a barbecue video. Yeah, it's people in a car. It's just, yeah, it's, it's so fucked. For me, hands down, it was lawn work. Uh, yeah, and the and the pool one is really like, well, I don't know. And then you see the face in the pool. Oh, so, so, so scary. But just to run someone over with a lawnmower, that is, oh, my God, that is a whole nother level of fucked up. That's one of the gnarliest ways to, yeah, Ugh. To, to to hurt somebody. Ugh, so, yeah. so while researching all this, watching these films, Ellison sees in the drowning film in Pool Party, he sees a demonic figure at the bottom of the pool watching the, the drownings. And it turns to look at the camera. <laughs> that was creepy when Ellison turns around and the image on the camera just turns around with him. <laughs> yeah, I, I really like that because... Because we were we were waiting we were waiting for like confirmation of this thing is this thing really fucking with Ellis or you know and you're like oh yeah it is <laughs> <laughs> that was great so he starts he downloads all of the videos into uh, MP4s on his computer and uh, I think the most realistic thing about this movie is he had to Google how to turn Super 8 into MP4 video because <laughs> I've, I've been there <laughs> 2012 man hey. <laughs> Uh, so he starts looking through all the videos more carefully and he sees these symbols in all the videos written some, uh, carved in somewhere, painted somewhere, an ancient looking occult symbol. And somewhere online, he also sees that face in various videos in the background somewhere in a mirror, just hiding. And he looks at the box and the lid has some drawings depicting the murders like stick figures with their necks cut or on fire. And next to these characters is a dark painted figure, always identified as Mr. Boogie. Yes. <laughs> Kids fucking drawings, man. <laughs> <Hey>. <laughs> uh, so, children. Children uh, are one of the, one of the best catalysts in, uh, in horror. Oh, for sure. It's just the innocence, you know, the, it's the destruction of innocence. Yeah. Well, yeah, which is like, which, is, you know, is something that that happens uh, on, on a daily basis, you know, with, you know, parents just uh, emotionally or mentally abusing or, you know, neglecting their children. And horror is such a great place to kind of um, get creative with that, you know, and and show it in ways that's that's scary and makes you want to kind of fucking change. It's crazy. That's what I love about horror. There's nothing is off limits. You can do whatever you want. You can address whatever situation or societal outrage you want. And you get to do it in your own way with your own voice in a way that not no other genre allows. It's pretty awesome. I, I love it. Sinister. I don't know if I'd quite take it to that. I don't think there's really any societal outrage here. No, but no. It is a movie that is certainly creative. Uh, so Ellison needs help here. He's, he consults a local deputy who's a fan of his work. Deputy shows up and he gives him a signed copy of Kentucky Blood, Perfect. which 
was it a little did you find it a little pretentious when ellison's like oh i just happen to have a stack of copies here let me oh, write yeah, sign had, one for you he had so many <laughs> he just keeps them on hand for fans so with the dep the deputy agrees to help him because he's a fan and he wants an acknowledgement in the book the way he dances around that is so ridiculous i there's so there's a lot of unnecessary comedy in this mostly from the deputy but you know i mean whatever yeah not 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 the uh not what you walk away with from the film not what you remember not really (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> so ellison using this deputy's help discovers the murders depicted in the films all are spaced throughout the decades it started in the 60s it's different cities across the country he learns that the families were all drugged before being killed and that a child from each family was missing after every murder so the deputy is a little concerned now because he realizes ellison stumbled upon something big and the deputy doesn't want to get dragged into this. He doesn't want to be you know, reprimanded for not bringing this up to his superior, but he's still going to help Ellison because he's an idiot. And he <laughs> contacts this local professor, Professor Jonas, cameo appearance from Vincent D'Onofrio. Yes. <laughs> I totally forgot about that. <laughs> yeah. Coming up, you know, we just did the cell. So it's, it's a Vincent heavy <laughs> month. <laughs> Ellison Skypes into this professor who is an expert in the occult and demonic phenomena. And this guy immediately knows what this symbol is. And he's like, how did you find this? This is not, you know, this isn't something your devil worshiping teenager is going to know about. This is something way older and way darker than the devil. (laughs) That is a terrifying idea. Crazy. (laughs) Evil that predates the devil. And he says it no nonchalantly. It's like, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> well, to the guy, I mean, to Jonas, this is just some, you know, picture. He doesn't know there's murders happening here that are actually being carried out by this thing. <laughs> yeah, I love how uh, towards the end of the film, he's like, well, what exactly are you researching? <laughs> what kind of book are you writing? <laughs> he's, he, there's a lot of conversation before that question gets brought up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. He's giving him all this, like, crazy knowledge. Yeah, and then, wait a minute. What do you need this for? Yeah. <laughs> Oh, God. So Jonas tells Ellison that these symbols are symbols of a pagan deity called Bagul, which translates roughly to eater of children. So super guy. And his deal is he would kill entire families so that he could take their children into his world and consume their souls. So pretty high, high fucking stakes. I mean, this guy. Yeah, yeah. No this Bagul dude does not fuck around. This ain't Pazuzu. This is this is a hardcore motherfucker. Yeah, one of the, one of the most hardcore, uh, you know, uh, and horror that I can think of, like recently anyway. One of the more powerful, un unrelenting forces of of evil we've seen in horror films. Well, Bagul is like he has no like he doesn't give a fuck. It's all about just I want the kid. But he doesn't talk. He doesn't act yeah. out. He yeah. doesn't even show up until it's ready to go, until he's like ready to make his move. I mean, this is an, this is evil, like unlike anything we've seen in, in horror, at least on this show, because this guy, he's not even really a villain. He's just a force of nature, like we said. Yeah. 
it's frightening. Like the, there is no doubt in my mind that no one could stop this guy. <laughs> oh yeah, no, no chance. No <laughs> chance. Like very like, freaky. Like a even a like a near human like Michael Myers has no chance. You know what I mean? Like this is like a yeah, it goes like past like demonic. It's like this. I don't even know. Yeah, <laughs> we don't even know how like large it can grow. You know? Yeah, because we don't like know these. Said, yeah. Like you said, it only it only shows up like when it's totally ready. We don't know what else it does. I don't know. It's just a pretty mind-boggling thing, which is why it's so fascinating that they fucked up the second one so bad. I know, man. The franchise potential on this was unbelievable. <laughs> is pretty crazy. If they could have somehow, uh, yeah. I mean, this could have been one of the greatest like trilogies. Yeah, you know, just the the content you have there from the first movie, the setup, and that that kind of evil, uh, just sucks. You know. <sighs> Woulda, coulda, shoulda. God damn it. You'd think it'd be so easy to build on this. Yeah, you, you would think, yeah. But, you know, them's the breaks. Horror has that problem a lot. Solid first movie, and then they just trip down the fucking stairs going f- further than that. <laughs> Almost every time. It's crazy. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> Ugh. So, one night, Ellison hears the film projector running, goes up to the attic, and he sees a whole bunch of missing children in various states of decay. And they're watching the film. <laughs> Bagul shows up on camera and then appears right in front of Ellison. Ellison falls down and is like, oh, I just I heard a I heard a scorpion. <laughs> like, the cops are putting like a cast like uh, some gauze on his leg. And he's like, really, I'm fine. Like, no, you're not fucking fine. You're falling apart, man. <laughs> For good reason. <laughs> You're tempting fate with a Babylonian chaos god. Fuck <laughs> off, dude. <laughs> you can't win this. You're not right your fucking book. Move on. <laughs> Go be I, a fucking pastor at First Reformed, man. Come yes. on, get out of here. Get out of here. If anything should make you want to find God, it's that motherfucker <laughs> coming out of a, of a screen. Oh, oh man. It's just so, I mean, the guy has so many opportunities to realize what he's into and leave. He doesn't, he doesn't take any of them. No, no. With kids in the house, man. I mean, it's not about you anymore. Like, you have a family you are putting in danger here. Two children, yeah. I mean, I don't, I can't imagine what situation I'd be in where, a chaos god of evil called the Eater of Children comes out of a screen and, like, <laughs> looks directly at me. What situation <laughs> I'd be in where that happens and I just shrug it off with, well, <laughs> strike two. What? <laughs> that is, the game is over. I am out of there. And you can say, I don't, I'm, it's just, I can't believe this. <laughs> It really is, you know, we talk about, uh, especially on this podcast, we talk about just horrible decision-making, because in horror movies, that's what happens a lot. But this, this is different, because this is a dad, like a full-on dad. Usually it's like fucking teenagers making these decisions. But no, this is a dad. And uh, you would think whatever's happened in the past with these books, that he would kind of learn something. But even that didn't help. And then even going through this and seeing, like you said, seeing him having the validation that this is definitely a real thing. I, I don't, yeah, I don't understand how you don't get out of there. 
I'm sure he's probably thinking like it was the whiskey, but how much whiskey can conjure up a, a, a deity like that? Yeah. And whatever brand you're drinking, don't, I, I don't want it. You know, does Jack Daniels give you the Babylonian God, but Jim Beam brings out a Sumerian. Like, how does this work? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I guess we got to ask Ethan Hawke. I don't know. Unbelievable, man. And did it, did it piss you off when Ethan Hawke is constantly watching videos of himself on talk shows? Yeah. What was up with that? What a selfish, narcissistic prick. Yeah. My God. Yeah. Just constant. It's like Sunset Boulevard. He's just constantly like, I used to be big. <laughs> well, yeah. At one point, he falls asleep to one of them. That's 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 bad. Like that's pretty low because that means you're like, oh, I'm just gonna put some entertainment on to like you know crash out. And that's what you put on. You know, I put on like it's always sunny in Philadelphia or Seinfeld. You put on your own videos of you talking. Like what a dickhead. <laughs> oh, <laughs> fucking Ellis. Ugh. And Ellison, man, he's just a, I can't believe this guy. <laughs> so Ellison eventually has a realization where he's like, all right, this can't go on. I, I can't do this anymore. This thing is. He learns that this is uh, like this is ongoing and this has been going on for decades. And after the, seeing the kids in the in the attic, admittedly, he does have a, a realization of like, nope. And he takes the camera and the films to the backyard. He burns them in a barrel, wakes his family, and tells them they're moving back to their old house. And they all pack up, and they start driving out, and the sheriff pulls him over and is like, why are you going so fast, Mr. Ryder Hotshot motherfucker? Why are you going so fast? <laughs> yeah, I love that. Just, <laughs> it just shots at him all the time, little jabs, like, ooh, yeah. fucking Stephen King over here. <laughs> <laughs> It's like this guy's such a dick. Maybe that maybe that sheriff wanted to be a writer at some point and just couldn't do it, you know? Oh, I bet. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah, that's probably what happened. So he became a cop. <laughs> <laughs> Those who can't write, protect and serve, I guess. <laughs> Those who can't teach, teach Jim. Fucking <laughs> <laughs> like oh, school of rock, yeah. That shit always comes up on here. <laughs> So the professor, I mean, well, not the professor, Ellison says, like, hey, we're leaving. Like, there's no book. We're fucking off. And the sheriff's like, oh, there's no book. I don't see no reason to get your autograph. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah and he's like, all right, I'm just trying to get out of here. Come on. <laughs> God, so much abuse of power happening over here. So Ellison goes home to his old house, which I guess is a. Nobody sold. And that was such a nice house. Their old house. Oh, I know. Like, you left that to go to a fucking, like, one-story two-bedroom? Where crazy shit happened? Yeah. Yeah, come on. God, Ellison. What an idiot. Just a bad dad. Yeah. If I'm writing a book on, like, you know, the moon landing, I'm not going to insist NASA send me to fucking space. (laughs) That's not how research works. No, yeah, I I would think that you would want to be in like like isolated in like fucking Wyoming to to really dig into research like this, you know? Mm-hmm. You would you want to be like isolated from everything, not even not even have like fucking neighbors and just huh. dig into dig into this crazy crazy stuff. But no, he's like, oh, I'm gonna do it right here next to where my daughter's sleeping right next door. Yeah. What Ellison should have done is he should have packed up his family, gone to Colorado. Stayed at a hotel for a while, 
maybe you know in an air in a hotel at a time when everyone else is gone maybe take care of this place for you know a, a bargain of yeah. course shit probably would have gone down a lot similar yeah fast. get some drink get some drinks from lloyd you know you know see what happens <laughs> oh, oh god no play can makes ellison imagine, a dull boy can you imagine ellison and jack torrance hanging out yikes oh jack would kill this motherfucker pretty quickly <laughs> he'd be like shut the fuck up <laughs> Here's your Kentucky uh, blood, you motherfucker. <laughs> I don't get it. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> Callbacks. So, so Ellison's at home. He's, you know, he's done. He's drinking, kind of lamenting the book that never will be. And he gets a message from Professor Jonas, who sends him scans of historical drawings associated with Bagul. And each of these images have been particularly destroyed I mean, partially destroyed because these ancient cultures believe that Bagul lived within the image, that destroying Bagul, destroying the image meant they could possibly destroy the Bagul. Didn't work. But these acted as his portals between the re- his realm and the mortal world. And Ellison immediately is thinking, oh, shit, the videos. <laughs> and he finds the projector and the films in his attic. Oh, <laughs> ones he destroyed supposedly yeah oh it's creepy and there's a new envelope of film labeled extended endings and during all this the deputy so-and-so has been trying to call ellison but ellison isn't answering and the next time he's he calls ellison's assembling the films he answers the phone and the deputy informs him of something he found he found a link between each of the murders every family that had previously lived in the house Every family had previously lived in the house where the last murder took place. And each new murder occurred shortly after the family moved into their new house. So by moving back to his old house after living in the house where the other family was killed, Ellison has put himself in Bagul's crosshairs. Exactly. (laughs) They're next. Ooh, I got chills when, when that happened in the movie. Yeah, well, yeah, Bagul's like, oh, you fucking idiot. Usually I have to wait like years to do this, but you're fucking dumb. Now I get to do it two years in a row. Fucking field day for me. Oh, my God. I'm just picturing Bagul coming out of a portal and being like, wow, I did not plan it to be this soon. You, He's you're... like, look, yeah. <laughs> Jesus Christ. He's like, God, Ethan Hawke, this guy is an idiot. Keep him coming, yeah. <laughs> I gave everyone time off. We got to get the whole crew assembled now. I, I <laughs> killed my timetable, man. <laughs> oh, man. God, so good. Oh, my God. So Ellison, instead of, you know, getting shit together and maybe like, you know, fucking off to Alaska or something, he puts the video on, starts watching it and finds that the extended endings are that the missing children who keep disappearing every time a family's killed. They're the ones committing the murders. That Bagul gets in their heads and convinces them to kill their families before taking them away to his world to eat their souls before he can react to this ellison becomes lightheaded looks in his coffee cup finds a note reading good night daddy and a green liquid in the cup he's been drugged by his daughter (laughs) oh man (sighs) not the ending you expect from a movie like this it's really bleak awesome yeah no it is again this is what this is what you uh leave with is what we're about to discuss right here oh big time so Ellison wakes up briefly to find himself, his wife, and his son bound and gagged. Ashley approaches them, holding an 8mm camera, 
and says that she's going to make him famous again. Oh, dude. <laughs> Jesus. She then murders her family with an axe. <laughs> Fuck. Oh, bye-bye, Ethan Hawke. Oh. She uses their blood to paint images of cats, dogs, unicorns all over the walls. She adds a new drawing to the box lid, including Mr. Boogie. She views the Super 8 film of her murders. And then the missing children come out. The ghoul shows up, green blood covering his hands. The children flee. He picks up Ashley and walks into the film with her. And now the the box of films are in their attic, including a real labeled house painting 2012. And then the ghoul pops out for one last jump scare and the movie's over. Yeah. Like you're next. Yeah. Yeah. It's great. It is great. It's Um, a bit of a, I'm not going to lie. There's some, there's some dull moments in the movie. Uh, a lot of the characters are kind of forgettable or annoying, but that ending. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The once you get, I would say, to like the last, you know, you know, thirty, forty minutes or so, it is a wild ride and very, very rewarding as a horror fan because it just kind of surprises you with how how dark the ending is. Uh, yeah. Of course, of course, horror is dark. That's what the journey's all about. But it. uh a lot of horror movies, yeah, it's just like, you know, maybe maybe someone dies or something, but they like, you know, they, they the good guys end up winning or they figure something out or or they exercise a demon. This is like, no, no, it's it honestly is worse than it would have been before. Because, again, Bagul is usually having to wait years, sometimes a decade to do what he does, but not because <laughs> because Ellison is so, uh, you know, uh, greedy about his his work, uh, you know, he's made it easy for him. So it's just, yeah, it's just a really genius um, last 20, 30 minutes or so. And then uh, yeah, I agree with you. There's, there's parts of that are kind of, kind of boring, a little bit dull and just uh, redundant. We've seen it so many times in horror, just that kind of like, Oh, here's the kids struggling. And here's the, you know, we've just seen that. It's a, it gets kind of one note sometimes. Yeah, I agree. Well, this movie, it, it gets out of that by, I think Bagul himself just being so mysterious and yeah, over like all powerful he is i mean he's a god and he lets you know it he doesn't get his hands dirty he lets his disciples take care of business for him he doesn't say a word and he can't be stopped it's yeah yeah it'd be it yeah, would undermine it. everything about that character if suddenly ethan hawk was able to beat him at the end yeah exactly it sticks it like sticks to its guns it actually holds true to uh that that character the ghoul like you said who's just a force of nature so scary oh hell yeah here are some film guys and facts number one screenwriter c robert cargill admitted that the name of ethan hawk's character ellison oswalt was inspired by author harlan ellison and comedian Patton oswalt wow <laughs> that's random yeah i like that though number two there's very little blood Almost no cursing and no sex in this movie because the filmmakers were hoping for a PG-13 rating. However, they still got an R based on content alone. This movie was so scary, it got an R rating for fear. That's awesome. I didn't really realize that. Yeah, um, I guess there isn't a lot of fat on it as far as that goes. Um, just kind of like useless drama or anything. But yeah, I, I didn't realize like the language isn't really there either. Um, wow. Wow. Just from just from fear alone and that that character alone and how dark it is to take children to have them kill their own families. 
that's R. That's yeah, that's an R. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I agree. <laughs> Uh, and number three, according to co-writer C. Robert Cargill, the ghoul was originally intended to look more like Willy Wonka, the version played by Johnny Depp. Whoa. After going over this idea, it was decided that the deity looking like Wonka would be, quote, too silly for the film and not scary or mysterious enough. I don't know, man. That would have been pretty weird. <laughs> Finally, a photo was found on Google Images that Cargill bought the rights to, and this was the basis for the ghoul as seen in the finished film. Good thing he saw that picture. His Wonka Bagul would have been fucking weird. That would have been very bizarre, yeah. <laughs> to have changed the movie. <laughs> I don't know if we'd be talking about it with this kind of esteem. No, I don't think neither neither one of us would be as uh, freaked out by it. We might be like, oh, that was funny. <laughs> you know? <laughs> I wouldn't want to go to his chocolate factory. <laughs> Jesus, no. Uh, there was one sequel made, 2015's Sinister 2 which follows deputy so-and-so as he tries to figure out what happened to Ellison Oswald and his family. And a new family moves into their house, and the children are haunted by Bagul's victims who are trying to manipulate them. The film was downright terrible, despite being profitable. It has an IMDb score of 5.3, Rotten Tomatoes score of 16%, and I give it a 4. It sucked. Yeah, I forgot about it completely. I, I, really, I really don't remember it, you know. It was so bad. I, I saw it. Four years, four or five years ago. Yeah, and sounds it was, right. Yeah, it was horrible. <laughs> As for Sinister, I give it an eight. It's a yeah. creepy movie. It does a lot with its premise. Gave us a memorable, frightening villain. Yeah, I, I give it an eight as well. Uh, I think Ethan Hawke gives a good performance. Bagul is great. The atmosphere is good. And then, the, yeah, again, the last 20 minutes is, is so rewarding. Oh, yes. So what do we have for Friday? Oh, Friday. Oh, man. I mean, there's no other way to go with actors other than Ethan Hawke, right? So got to choose one of his. Um, the movie you just reviewed, and that's going to be fucking Training Day. Uh, yeah. Also, also Denzel, who gives, to me, like, hands down his best performance of all time. Uh, Antoine Fuqua's masterpiece. Uh, Training Day, one of the coolest cop movies. One of the, you know, yeah, it's great. It's going to be so much fun. Uh, we are bound to do it at some point. Because it's just, yeah, it's just a legendary movie. Oh, fuck yeah. Oh, I can't wait. Watching that again for the, for, uh, for the first time in, like, almost, you know, 10 years. It oh, was so, goodness. oh, it was insane. It was so much fun. So rewarding. Such a tense fucking movie. Such a smart movie. And, uh, yeah, that'll be a great discussion. I can't wait. Yeah, Training Day is, uh, unfortunately, I don't have that. I wish I could have 10 years of not seeing it. I've watched it. I've watched it like twice a year for the past, I don't know, <laughs> eight, nine years. Yeah. Training Day is awesome, man. It's uh, again, it's it's Denzel's best best performance. I don't really I don't really see an argument of, you know, like what other movie you could put out there that would you know rival it because he just he has the freedom to kind of be a little more gritty than we're used to. And uh, yeah. oh, man, it's so awesome. When it was like, wasn't it like the first time we saw Denzel as a bad guy? Yeah, and then, you know, of course we saw American Gangster, Frank Lucas, but um, I don't know. Training Day, there's something about a fictional character, you know, um, and when Denzel gets to kind of put his own spin on it. Just just the hydraulics, the still DRE playing when he's – and he's always talking while smoking. He just – he just it was perfect. He did everything so well for that character. Oh, hell yeah. So we'll have Training Day for you on Friday. Yes. Can't wait. So let's see what happened this week in film. Let's do it. 
For some reason, there are plans to remake the 2001 horror flick The Others. The plan oh. is to modernize it. And I, it's really we're going we're going back to, to the 2000s now. <laughs> that's that's what we're digging for our remake fodder. And not even like I don't know. I kind of forgot about that one. It's not very good. It's it's all it's, right. It's, yeah, I don't. Yeah. It's known mostly for its big twist these days than it is for its actual quality. Yeah, yeah, actual horror quality. Yeah. <laughs> but I did like that it was subtle. It was more atmospheric. It was more of a what is happening as opposed to this is scary. Yeah. yeah. And I think they're gonna but they're gonna fuck it up. They're gonna remake it. They're gonna try to throw you know make it like The Conjuring or something like that. And I just I don't want it. I don't. We don't need it. Yeah, that's the main thing. Is it's not necessary. It's not necessary. Why don't they ever remake the shit films? They or, never. Or yeah. just write something new, man. Or that. I mean, if, that's what I'd prefer. But if you have to remake something, if that's all you've got, remake the things that were, you know, that fucked up the first time. Do those right. <laughs> yeah, I yeah I agree with you. Yeah, like um, like what's a good example? Um. Like, I would say, you know, 10 years from now, someone needs to, like, remake War War Z, you know? Yeah. Because that's a good book, you know? I just think they kind of fucked up the movie in multiple ways. But, yeah, it's stuff like like that. Not even, like, financially successful. Just stuff that could be a little bit better for the fans, you know? Yeah. Just just heighten the quality and the actual, um, you know, sticking to the source material. Stuff like that. Yeah, I agree with you. It, It would be cool to, like, have more people interested in revisiting... Movies that are, like, famous for being bad. <laughs> <laughs> Very true. That would be cool. Very true. Uh, speaking of remakes, Disney has announced plans for a live-action remake of their 1973 animated classic Robin Hood for Disney+. Plus. Interesting. Mm, do we need another Robin Hood? <laughs> no, we don't. I Plus, I love that 73 one. That one's really good. Um, yeah, me too. And, of course, yeah, we had we had that Russell Crowe one. We had – what else have we had? There was the Taron Edgerton one from a couple years ago. Yeah. There's, there's Costner. Been, there's, there's TV shows. Yeah. I, yeah. I don't know. I'm tired of it. I don't want to. We need a 10 year break from Robin Hood. Yeah. And like, who are they going it, to? It's going to be like Chris Pratt or something. And it's just like, I don't know. I, I, I'm, I'm out. Yeah. I would, <laughs> I would bet money. It's going to be Chris Pratt. <laughs> well, yeah, he's, that makes he's perfect one of, sense. He's one of their guys. Yeah. He's, you know. <laughs> uh, gee, I just. I recently watched, I don't know if I talked about this on the show, but I recently watched the uh, 1940s, I think, uh, Errol Flynn Robin Hood. Oh, wow. Okay. It's the definitive Robin Hood, and nothing after that ever came close. It is so good. So, yeah. Well, well I, I haven't even seen that, and from my perspective, the cartoon is the best one. So, <laughs> so if that's the case, then yeah, like I totally oh, believe my. you, and... Uh, yeah, I just don't think I, – I don't know. I remember leaving the Russell Crowe one, like leaving the theater, and I was just like, what What exactly was the whole point of making this? You know, like are we going further with this? Are there going to be more movies that are like – are we going to keep telling the story? Or are we – was it just for money or, or like trying to make money? <laughs> I don't know. I can't believe that you have a gritty Robin Hood movie with Russell Crowe and Kate Blanchett directed by Ridley Scott, and nobody cared. Yeah. <laughs> No, no, like no. On paper, that sounds flawless, but the movie yeah. is so boring. Yeah, it really is so forgettable. Oh my God. And uh, yeah, I just I think it peaked with Errol Flynn. I have a soft spot for Robin Hood Men in Tights. Oh, there you go. Yeah, that yeah, movie's yeah, hilarious. 
It is very funny. Different. But the Costner one has so much, like so many problems. Most of them being Costner himself. I was going to say, well, he's not the best. No. The rest of that cast is great. It's really just him. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Ah, Moving on from Robin Hood. Another remake. VHS co-director David Buckner is attached to direct the upcoming Hellraiser remake. So, they're finally remaking Hellraiser. They've been trying to do that for years. Uh, I don't know. You know, I watched Hellraiser mm, not that long ago, a few months back, and uh, very, very, very dark and weird. I I don't see a necessity in remaking that one either because it's kind of like a cult classic. And I yeah. think the people who like it are fine with it, you know? Uh, the people who are fans of it are, are totally fine with like what it is already. So, uh, yeah. yeah, I don't know. You're not bringing new people to the Hellraiser party. <laughs> no, I don't think so. I Yeah, it's not. And, like, right now, it just doesn't scream, like, a, the greatest idea for, like, oh, like, come see this, you know? <laughs> this anxious, ridden, <laughs> ridden movie called Hellraiser. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> and it's just so fucked up that, we, that I, I can't imagine putting a spin on it. Like, it's, it's really, it's its own thing. Nothing really compares to Hellraiser. Yeah, no, it's yeah, it's definitely in its own category. Yeah. And there's like 15 of them, so just you know, watch one of the ones you haven't seen. Imagine yeah. that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, Disney and Pixar's Soul has been pushed to November. It was expected, but it's, it's happened. Um, and then finally, Kevin Smith has announced plans to set up a number of pop-up restaurants around Los Angeles based on his fictional fast food joint, Movies. That has appeared in several of his films, including Clerks 2, Dogma, and Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back. Beautiful. I just can't believe that. I just watched Clerks 2, and I wish I was in L.A. right now because I would love to, to see this. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, I definitely any any time if I do get to go to L.A. at some point in the near future, I'll be going there. And they are going to be doing a uh, delivery. <laughs> oh, that's great. <laughs> that's such a funny movie. All those yeah, movies oh. are fucking great. Yeah, Ken Smith's the man. So that is all for today, folks. We'll see you Friday with Training Day and a possible something special for Sunday. Next week, we're tackling another tentpole horror classic from the 70s. When the crew of the spaceship Nostromo stumbles upon a strange organism, they are soon hunted down by a fearsome creature that has since become one of the most iconic horror characters of all time. Next week, Austin and I are diving into 1979's Alien, a fantastic horror masterpiece that will certainly be a great deal of fun to talk about. Alien. (laughs) Yeah, man. I I, got to be honest. It's been five years since I've seen that all the way through. Uh, Four or five years. Yeah, I'm really excited. Right on. This will be all new for you. Pretty much. Yeah, it's it's, yeah. That's to me. To me, three years is long enough to kind of. need need that refresher you know what i mean yeah uh, and it also depends on the film and obviously aliens a film you want to be totally there for so uh, i i'm excited to re to, to revisit it fantastic can't wait until then don't move your family into a murder house and if you find a box of murder movies turn them into the cops and walk away otherwise bagul is going to eat your children see you next week peace <laughs>